Thank you for tuning in to this edition of Kingsway Podcast from Pastor Sean. You are about to hear a message from a recent Sunday service. We consider it a privilege to be on a spiritual journey with you. So take a few moments with us and allow God to inspire you today. Today I want to start and end this service talking about the body, the body of Christ. Your body, the church body. We're actually going to end service with Holy Communion. The message today is not one of those messages that you're going to get all excited for and feel good throughout. This is a message where the Lord wants to get your attention. And sometimes, frankly, sometimes, whew, that can hurt. Sometimes I can catch you off guard by surprise. I encourage you. If we go all the way to 12 o'clock and we haven't done communion, stick around for communion. We're going to do it at the end as a family. If you miss communion, you are missing out. Some of us understand it. The rest of us, by the end of service, will. Here's the verse I want to start with today. No one hates their own bodies, but feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. You dwell on that. Let that sink in for a second. I don't think the mystery of this verse is caught by all of us. It's not by me the first time I looked at it. Look, let me say this. Today is one of those services where it's the daylight savings time, and if you have children, you know that that is like ridiculously chaotic in the morning. Kids are like, I'm not getting up. This is the service where your seasoned pastors, veteran churches, they know not to do their big fancy sermons on this day because no one usually shows up. It's their times are late or whatnot or everyone's exhausted and tired. And I could have taken that approach. But today the Lord was very specific. If you came to Kingsway Christian Center this morning, you are going to hear exactly what the Lord has for you special and set aside. When your body is aching. When you have problems in your body, it is impossible to dismiss it. You know, my eye, take my eye for instance. My eye, I got a a sty in my eye, and then it led to another sty in my eye. And then it seemed like I had two, and and that was painful, and it was was not fun. And then developed into like a mass. My eyelid got infected, and it swelled up. I couldn't read. I couldn't even see. I could barely go to work. I went to see doctors. I went and and took advice. I used home remedies. I prayed for it. My entire world revolved around my my bad eye. And you know, when you have something sick in your body, when, when your back hurts, your neck hurts, right? You know what this is like. You can't not focus on it. The Bible says that he cares for us as if we are part of his own body. The sun is a hundred million miles away, and yet we can't even stare at it. How is it possible we can be part of a one who shines brighter than the sun itself, connected, associated, one where he cares about us as his own body? If there is any sick among us, if there is any struggling among us, we are like the eye that was, the eyelid that I was walking around with. God is very focused on you today. He is so extraordinary. Why? Why would someone so extraordinary choose to care for us like his own arm, his own back, his own finger, his own eye? 
Please let this settle in. God considers his church sacred. Sacred. This, this is a picture of the holy temple. I've used it many, many times. It's a a modern-day virtual reality version of it, but this is how we imagined it based on the text. There's the incense, there's the candles, there's the water, there's the worship books, and then there is the veil of the temple where the Holy of Holies resided, the, the presence of God behind that veil. And we've been on this, this journey to understand holiness and to understand that, that God is holy. His angels call him holy. And that, in fact, he calls us to be holy. He even says, if we are not holy, we cannot see God. Yet it also tells us we have no way of being holy. That our righteousness is literally like filthy rags. And therein lies a dilemma. How can we understand this God? Well, we understand that his blood washes us clean of sin and that we put on something, a garment of righteousness. And as we read that, we learn that his righteousness is sacred. And that everything he has set aside for his purpose, every object, everything, every ritual that is set aside for God's divine purpose, he calls sacred. And if you didn't understand what this meant, if you didn't understand what it, what it meant to hold something sacred, and you walked into the presence of God here, the Bible says instantly you would drop dead. They would pull you out. It's a scary thing. You know, when I wrote sacred the first time, I wrote scared, not sacred. This time I wrote sacred. Scared's a word I use all the time. Sacred is a word I don't use very often, but there's a combination. Churches believe that things that are sacred are to be feared, are to be scared. The Holy of Holies was. Today in modern church, evangelistic circles, I believe that the sacred is not something we fully understand at all. And today I really want to to dive in even deeper. Two stories I'm going to share with you today quickly. Two stories in the Bible of sacred things that show punishment that can actually be scary. Why would I want to scare you on a Sunday? Why would I? I want to build you up and lift you up, right? I want to get you pumped up for the day. Why would I possibly want to scare you? How about this one? Here's a picture. Take a look at this picture. Let it sit in for a second. Let it dwell. Here we go. Okay, James got it. Okay, takes a couple seconds. Okay, there's a sign here on this picture. It says, dangers, rocks falling. And then it says very, very clearly, serious risk of injury or death. Stay away from the cliffs. There's a picture of a giant cliff. And at the base of that cliff, some genius decided to set up his tent. That's where he's sleeping. He clearly didn't understand the sign. Just to make sure that this is very clear and present right there. If you don't see it, let me, let, me, let me highlight it for you. That's a rock that fell off the cliff. It was only five feet from the guy's tent. He thinks he's protected. He thinks he's fine. He doesn't understand that he's in grave danger. I asked my wife what she thought of this. She's not here right now. She, i give you a quote. She said, at least you're by the beach and you can hear the water, to hear the waves. You know, I get it, I get it, but this is what we're talking about. What do you keep sacred? We started last week diving into this, and I don't believe we have very much that we hold sacred in our lives today, because I don't think there's very much we understand about being sacred. 
about what is sacred. And so I've been studying the scriptures and reading books, and, and I've been trying to share that with you, and the Lord has, has just given me such insight into this concept. You know, when we think of something sacred, we think of reverence, we think of respect, we think of something we're going to protect, something we're going to have caution around, something that we're going to be treat with a higher priority. And in fact, if we do these things, and they're cardinal things, material things, things of the world, like our house, our car, our jobs, our relationships, in fact, we build up idols, and that's a danger in and of itself. But when we do this with things that are set aside for God's purpose, they are sacred. Today, I understand that the people who showed up today, this family showed up with this baby and and the visitors that are here today and the people uh, part of Kingsway family, and there's a bunch of you missing today, but the ones that showed up today, I know for certain that you hunger and you thirst for righteousness. You want to know what it takes to go to that next level. You want to know what it means and what it takes to be righteous and to hold on to it. You want to know what it takes to have the Holy Spirit in your life with power, power to heal a child, power to transform your life, to transform your relationships. So today we're going to talk about that. So last week we shared all sorts of stories with you too. In fact, we talked about two kings, two very important kings, two kings that were the first kings to be appointed by God himself. Before these kings, there were judges, and so there was King Saul, who was a mighty man, a a big guy, and and he was looked like a born leader, although he didn't lead very well. And there was another king who followed him, a man after God's own heart, David, who was maybe the best king of all kings. And what we learned about both of these kings is they both suffered significant loss because they didn't understand the sacred. Saul was a king, and yet he went ahead and tried to make the sacrifice, and that was a sacred ritual. And because of that, he lost his kingdom. David, who was a man after God's own heart, wanted the presence of God in Jerusalem, went to go get the Ark of the Covenant, didn't know how to handle the sacred. He lost one of his key men in three months. And we talked about that last week. Those were what I call sacred reminders. God has put them in our life, instances that around the sacred where he reminds us how he has ordered things. And today, I want to talk about the New Testament I want to show you sacred reminders that are in the New Testament. Here's the context, Acts chapter 5. If you have your Bible, you can open up to it. We're going to start right at the first verse. We're going to read a couple. The context is simple. Jesus Christ came down to heaven and and walked with us and talked with us. He healed people. He focused on everybody else. He demonstrated love in its purest form. And then we, we, well, we condemned him, we beat him, we broke him, we crushed him, we put him on a cross, and we crucified him. He then died. He went to hell. He conquered the enemy. He came back, and he presented himself to the disciples. He then rose into heaven, and he said, I'm going to send the comforter, some before me, so greater works shall you do. And then, and then, all the disciples, all the people of the church, all the early Christians, they were told to wait, and so they went up into an upper room. 40 days and 40 nights went by. And on the 50th day after Christ ascended, the Holy Spirit came down and baptized whosoever in that room, 120. At that point, they began to speak with boldness. They began to preach messages that were unheard of. They began to heal the lame. And then they began to start their church. And in their church, they began to create the leadership and they began to create community. And in that church, they began to sell all that they had to give to those that had not. This wasn't communism. They weren't forced to do it. There was a volunteer process. 
And they didn't give everything they had. They kept their homes and they kept things to keep their life going. But everything they had in excess, they sold for those who had not. And therein lies Acts chapter 5. It's about money. There is nothing more diabolical to talk about in church than money. And today we're going to see what the Lord has to say about it in the context of of Acts chapter 5. You can turn your Bibles, you can start at verse 1. But there was a certain man named Ananias, who with his wife, Sapphira, sold some property. He brought part of the money to the apostles, claiming, say claiming, claiming it was the full amount. In other words, it wasn't the full amount. And with his wife's consent, he kept the rest. I got so much to say, but before services I was praying, I needed to pause right here, right on this part of the scripture. I need to say this. There is something else sacred besides the church and besides his blessing and his favor and his righteousness. There is something else sacred. It's called a marriage. God has created an institution with man and woman to be in a marriage, and he has called it sacred. There are do's and don'ts inside the context of marriage, and one of the do's are, you see, men and women inside of marriage, they can delegate, they can distribute responsibilities amongst themselves, dishes, laundry, they can finance a breadwinner, they can do these things amongst themselves. That's all within the law, but there's one area that there, there is a very clear do and a don't, which is the man of the house must be a spiritual leader. It says it's a spiritual leader. He must lead his wife. You know, I think at at a bare minimum, it means two things at least. At a bare minimum, it means, A, he must lead her spiritually in such a way that she must not have to fill the gap herself. And number two, he must lead her in a way that doesn't lead them both into sin. What you're about to see here is the opposite of both. And marriage is in real trouble when there is agreement to sin. Let's keep reading. Verse 3. Then Peter said, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? You lied to the Holy Spirit and you kept some of the money for yourself. The property was yours to sell or not to sell as you wished. And after selling it, the money you had was yours to give away or not to give away. How could you do such a thing like this? You weren't lying to us, but to God. Church, we all have choices today. We have free will today. We can choose many things, but one thing we cannot choose is the consequences of our decisions. We must understand first what those consequences are, and if we don't, we will suffer them, whether it's our choice or not. We must seek to understand them. And right here, it says, Ananias, why have you let Satan fill your heart? This is a choice that you can make today, church. You can come into this building, you can hear the scriptures and sing that song, and when you walk out that door, you can choose to let Satan in your life or not. He has no authority over you, only the authority you give him. What is the consequence of letting Satan in your heart? Let's keep reading. As soon as Ananias heard this, these words, he fell to the floor and died. Yeah, yeah, that's what it says. Everyone who heard about it was terrified. Say terrified. Then some young men got up, wrapped him in a sheet, and took him out and buried him. About three hours later, his wife came in. Not knowing what had happened, Peter asked her, was this the price you and your husband received for your land. Yes, she replied, that was the price. And Peter said, how could the two of you even think of conspiring to test the spirit of the Lord like this? 
The young men who buried your husband are just outside the door and they will carry you out too. Verse 10, instantly she fell to the floor and died. When the young men came in and saw that she was dead, they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Verse 11, and great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who had heard what had happened. Heavenly Father, let your word sink into our soil. Prepare and, and till our soil right now that, Father God, your word may bear good fruit in Jesus' name. I mean, this is crazy, right? The first church, people coming in, they're doing their thing. This family, they had this extra piece of land. They sold the piece of land. I don't know. Maybe it was for $50,000 in today's money. And instead of taking the whole $50,000 and going to church, they brought $40,000 to church, which, which that sounds wonderful. Maybe they brought $10,000. Who knows? They brought a portion of it, not the whole amount. Sure, that was within their rights, within their liberty. They got to the church. They went up to the leaders, and they said, here, I want to give this money to the church so we may bless others. But they said it was the full amount. They said, we gave everything we had from this land to you. You could start by saying, well, that's a mild exaggeration. You could also say, no, this is true, full-out deceit. You could say, no, maybe this is, I know what this is, this is greed. It's greed getting to him, right? That's why God killed him, right? How about conspiring together? Two people conspiring to sin in a church. Surely that's why God put him out. No, no. Maybe it's the big word, right? The big word that every non-Christian knows how to spell and knows how to say, and every Christian should learn it a little closer. Hypocrisy. To say one thing and do another. Surely, surely that's big enough for God to take him out. Or, or maybe, maybe it, was, maybe it was ego. You know, the thing that says I seek the praise of people and, and not of God. I want people to focus on me and not him. These are all good reasons. There are plenty of sermons written about all these things. But I believe there's something else going on here, something far more sacred. As I said in Ephesians, God considers his church sacred. And there is nothing more dangerous than playing church. There are those who come through this door seeking. They're seeking for wisdom. They're seeking for knowledge. They're seeking for reprieve. They're seeking for peace. They're seeking for truth. They're seeking for relief. They're seeking for restoration. I have no problem with that word seeking. I have no problem with that part in our church. God uses it all the time. Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven. Seek me and you shall find me. God is seeking true worshipers. I have no problem with that word today, church. When you walk through that door, if you're seeking God, I encourage you to come in here and find him as he has already found you. However, if you come through that door and think you figured it all out, you don't need any more understanding. You got it all pegged, and now you're just going to put on not the garment of righteousness, but you're going to put the garment of church, come in here, say the right things, do the right things, sing the right things, be the right things. Let me tell you something. You are messing with the sacred. The method you use is as important as the goal itself. You want to be a disciple of Christ? It matters how you follow him. Being in church is not enough, as God has shown us in this particular example. Giving your money is not enough, 
as God has shown in this example. He doesn't care about your money. He doesn't care about the amount of money. He cares about his sacred. When we put ourselves at the center of right and wrong, when we put ourselves as the ultimate and final authority in our own lives, we begin to break down what God has called as the sacred. You see, this act of giving, it goes all the way back to Genesis. We've already, we did four weeks on Melchizedek, four weeks on Genesis, and how important giving is to God, how the act of giving, giving money, is an act of a sacred event, a sacrament in and of itself, where we begin to help others like this church was doing. But as you remember, church, what I showed you, what I taught you, what I demonstrated in Scripture, is the moment right before you give. The moment right before you give, the moment when you decide or you decide with your spouse or you decide with someone else to give money, that moment is the moment in heaven where the angels are watching you. It's a sacred summit where the spirit inside you is communing with God and saying, do it, do it for someone else. And in that moment, these people decided to turn it into utter sin. The needs were met in the church, but they decided to abuse it. How do I know, how do I know today that we just fundamentally don't understand what is sacred? This surprised many people. I have yet to see somebody fall over dead after an offering here at Kingsway. I'm thankful none of you have attempted to lie about your offerings, thank God. I hope no one dies after an offering. But I can look at the broader church now. I can look at the broader church community. I can look at the history of church through, through the beginning of time till now. And you know what I see? I see some, some things we just got all out of whack. Here, let's take one that will really strike a chord. Let's take this one right here. Holy communion. Eucharist. First of all, do you know this word here? Holy communion is not in the Bible. Not one time. Take those two words, put them together. You won't find it. Take the word Eucharist, where Holy Communion comes from. Stick the word holy in front of it. Look for it. It's not in the Bible. I searched everywhere. Look anywhere where it talks about holy and communion in the same place. You see, communion is not holy. There are very few things that are holy. God is holy, and he wants us to be holy. People are holy. Objects are not, except the Bible. That's different, but that's a whole other sermon. Rituals, things, objects are sacred. That's why we call them sacraments. Yeah, I don't know, maybe we should be calling it sacred communion, but we don't, and I get it, and that's okay. But what we've done with communion, and, and perhaps we've done this part right, is we said, we understand that it's sacred, Pastor Sean, we get it, we, we know that it's sacred, and so we're going to make a big deal about holy communion, and we're going to make sure no one messes it up, don't worry. Of everything the Bible don't understand, I'm going to understand this piece of scripture, I'm going to understand how to not mess up communion. And so what's happened is we've turned the word sacred and we've turned it again into scared communion. Look, when I grew up, communion was a scary event. Communion was one of those things where if you fought with your sister that morning, you better not have communion. You watched the wrong TV show last night, you better not have communion. You fought with your wife on the way to church, better not have communion. The song you were singing on the way to church wasn't holy enough, better not have communion. Hey, you get in the sanctuary and you start worshiping and the worship leaders, the worship team don't sing the right songs, better not have communion. You guys know what I'm talking Some of you know what I'm talking about. I know old timers know what I'm talking about. We have scared the bejesus out of the church with communion. And for good reason. Let's take a look at the scriptures. Right here, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty seven. 27. 
It says, so anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Verse 28 to 29. You see, we love to take something good and turn it into something bad. We love to take the sacred, pollute it, contaminate it. In Scripture, that's exactly what they were doing here. Taking communion and turning it into something that was a sin against God. So let's look. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. This is a big deal. In fact, it should probably scare you. You see, what we learned with David and Uzziah and what we learned about Saul, as they were rushing in, they were enthusiastic, they were passionate. Uh, Saul wanted to have the, the, the blessing of God, he wanted to have the offering. He rushed into the offering. He lost his kingdom. David wanted the presence of the Lord, the Ark of the Covenant in Jerusalem. He rushed in there to grab it, and he lost one of his close friends. The Bible says zeal without wisdom is not good. Zeal without knowledge is not good. We lack understanding today. Let's look at this last verse here. This is where the fear really comes from. That is why many of you are weak and sick, and some have even died. Remember, I told you we have free will. We can make choices, lots of choices. You'll make a choice today about communion. There are lots of choices that you can make, but you cannot choose the consequence. This is the consequence. This is the result for not understanding what is sacred. Simply said, there are two ways, God's way and the wrong way. The method we use is as important as the goal itself. We can go about it God's way and achieve his blessing and favor, or we can go about it our way or worse, Satan's way, and we can suffer loss, defeat, punishment, judgment. This impacts all of our life. Take the spiritual things. There's a right and wrong way to pray. There's a right and wrong way to worship. There's a right and wrong way to fast. There's a right and wrong way to give. Take your personal life. There's a right and wrong way to handle your finances, to handle money, to handle intimate relationships. There's a right and wrong way for sex. There's a right and wrong way for marriage. And as I was thinking about this morning and praying, church, there's a right and a wrong way to handle our babies. And I pray today that this church and the churches around the United States of America will get a hold of God's way and not the wrong way. And that we would continue to pray for our babies. These horrendous laws that are being passed in various states. And our marriages. There's a right and there's a wrong way. I don't have time. I got to keep going. I'm running out of time. I got so much to say and I need you to hear it. We must understand. Look. The wrong way, I said, brings all these terrible things. But the right way, the right way, when you understand what is sacred, it's the quickest way to God's blessing, to his favor, to his righteousness. But we must first understand that which is sacred. In the Bible, it showed us in the Old Testament, misunderstand sacred, look what happens. New Testament, look what happens to Ananias and Sapphira. Look what happens to people who don't understand communion. Why do we have so much trouble? 
Why can't we understand? It's so basic. What's the problem? It's in Scripture. It's word for word. I'm reading it. I'm not making it up. I'll tell you why. At least what I believe, what I believe Scripture has pointed out, what I believe it's so clear. I can go back through all the generations and centuries of human beings since Christ, and I'll go take the middle era, I don't know, right about 1562, 16th century, you'll see a picture like this. You may not recognize this picture. It may not be commonplace to you, but back then, this was revolutionary. This was thought leadership. This was, this was wisdom and knowledge at its highest intellectual peak. What you see here is a graph, is a map. What you see here is an astronomy guide, if you will. This is called the Ptolemaic. The Ptolemaic was a philosophy that said, we are the center of the universe. We figured out that the world was not flat. It was, in fact, round. And now we have figured out that we are the center of the universe and everything revolves around us. Everything. In fact, the other planets revolve around us. The stars revolve around us. You can even see there in the middle, the sun and the moon revolves around us. And get the real intention of this diagram. Look in the corners. They believe at that time that, in fact, the heavens, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit themselves revolved around us. We are the center of it all. There is blessing and favor in understanding the sacred. The act of giving is sacred. There's blessing and favor. The act of communion is sacred. There's grace, healing, and power. But Ananias and Sapphira lied about how much they gave, and they were both struck dead. What? They exaggerated. Haven't you done that before? Paul told the early church that Christians were sick and even died because they misunderstood communion. If Paul himself was not exaggerating, could we all be one sip away? From our own death? As I mentioned, Pastor Francis Chan, who I've been reading, he sort of says it like this. To us, many situations in Scripture involve a punishment that was way too severe for the crime. Why do we feel this way? Why do we look at it and say, oh, that, that's not just. That was ridiculous, Lord. We just, they just dropped dead. That, that's, not, that's not good. I wouldn't have done it that way. You may even say these words, that's not now, if your kids say these words, you as a parent know exactly how to respond. That's not fair. You know, you know exactly what you're going to say. But what happens when an adult says it? We do not understand what it means for something to be sacred. We live in a human-centered world among people who see themselves as the highest authority. We are quick to say things like that's not fair because we believe we deserve certain human rights. Yet we give very little thought to the rights of God. The rights our God as our creator deserves. God is the creator and master of the universe. He created the universe as a reminder that our worlds should always revolve around the sun. A physical sun 100 million miles away and yet we cannot look at it because of its brightness is a reminder that the angels themselves even use their wings to cover their eyes in his presence. Yet even in the church, we act as though God's actions need to revolve around us. God will move if we sing the right songs. God will heal if the pastor says the right prayers. If we're holy enough, if we're good enough, we can have communion. 
That God will fall on us if we have the right structure, the right people, the right age, the right theology. Are you kidding me? Do you think the Pentecostal holiness is the only church in the world who can experience the presence of God? It does not revolve around us. The whole point of the sacred is it's not about you. It's about him. It's about putting ourselves aside and counting something else more valuable, including his church. And so the stories in Scripture that we've shared today, they're meant to show you that something of greater value exists. These things that belong to God, they are sacred. His ark is sacred. His commandments are sacred. His offerings in the temple are sacred. His Holy Spirit is sacred. His communion is sacred. And his church is sacred. However, in the above situations, people rushed into something sacred and paid the price. We shouldn't be surprised. In fact, we should be humbled. We have all done things more irreverent than a fib or eating the wrong thing. Let's thank God for his mercy and tread more carefully into matters that are sacred. Why is this so important to him? Is it just so that we obey? Is it just so that we can be obedient? That's part of it. It is sort of a test to be obedient, to understand what is sacred. But I believe that God wants to remove you from the center of your solution. The method is as important as the goal itself. Whatever your problem, your situation today is, you have a solution. That's because you're a human being and your brain goes through processes and it comes up with logic to come up with a solution. God wants to remove you from the center of your solution. Saul and David, they thought they could do it in their own way. They were wrong. Ananias and Sapphira thought they could solve it their own way. They were wrong. The early church, Paul began to tell them how to have communion. They thought they could do it their own way. They were wrong. God wants to be the center of your solution. And he has put these reminders in our life of things that are sacred to remind us that he needs to be at the center. Being a disciple of Christ, being a follower of Christ is not about you. It's about elevating the sacred above yourself and walking into the holy of holies despite what you have done. And in fact, in fact, communion, communion is not about you. Sean, you got it wrong. Really? Let's take one more look. Right here before me is God's table. That's where the Last Supper was held. It's a table similar to this. It's probably a lot bigger, a lot higher. And on it is communion. And in God's table, we are taught by priests and Catholic church and pastors all around and, and evangelical churches that at God's table is a moment of self-examination. It's a time of asking an important question. Am I good enough? Am I worthy enough to sit at this table? I have bold news for you today. You are not worthy enough. You are not good enough to sit at God's table. Your righteousness looks to him like filthy rags. 
This right here, it says, and, I, and David, I changed it. David had it all decorated real nice and pretty. I'm sorry, David, I had to move it around. I did it on purpose because I wanted you to see the inscription that is on here. It does not say in remembrance of Kingsway Christian Center. It does not say in remembrance of the Christians in this church today. It does not say in remembrance of the leaders who have figured out how to get sin out of their life. It doesn't say any of those things. It says in remembrance of who? Of who does it say? says in remembrance of me. Jesus Christ said in remembrance of me. Now, let's do one thing. And I know I told you, I'm almost at the end here. But in order to have communion together, I need to teach this one last point. I need you to focus. We're right here. We're at the point of the sacred. Now you will get a hold of it. Let your mind expand for one second. You see, we've, we've focused in evangelical churches too much about the grace and the mercy and the love. And why I say too much is because we stop talking about what is sacred and what is holy. They need to go together. And there is no better place to talk about those two things coming together than in the word that means it communion let's take a look now this time when i take a look we're going to go to the king james version because when you're going to go to the sacred and when you're going to change your life based on a verse i encourage you to look at the original text so let's do it today i'll take that same verse in corinthians from my story bible first corinthians 11 20 to 29 i'm going to show you that same exact verse directly translate it it says let a man examine himself for he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself that sounds pretty darn scary. The first word there is examine. The first word is the examine. We are to examine ourselves. This was the problem that, that Saul had when he made the offering. He didn't examine himself. He did it his own way. David, when he brought in the, the presence of God through the Ark of the Covenant, he didn't examine what he was doing. He rushed into it. For three months, he went back and he looked at Numbers chapter 4. You should do it. There is an entire chapter with how to deal with things that are sacred. He read about it. It took him three months to prepare. He examined himself. But in the New Testament, it doesn't say it like that. You see, the verse doesn't end. The verse says, not discerning the Lord's body. Do you know what the word discerning means? It's very, very simple, in fact. The word discerning, it's a big fancy word, but it means to examine it means to recognize, beyond just examine, but to figure it out, to identify, to detect. What are we supposed to detect? What are we supposed to examine? What are we supposed to identify? We look at ourselves. What is it? Our own sin? Our own malfunction? Our own loss? Is that what we're supposed to look at? That's what we've been told. But this verse says we are to discern what? The Lord's body. So what is the proper way to examine ourselves? There's only one way in light of the Lord's body. The body that was broken and bruised for you and for me. The body that was perfect and was beat down and crushed and put on a cross. A body that was given up for you and for me. We examine ourselves in light of the cross. See, he has brought power into your life. And if you do not recognize the power of Jesus Christ today, then you're right, communion is not for you. But if you recognize the power of Jesus Christ today, then you recognize that you are not holy and worthy until you come into his presence and allow him to make you such by understanding what is sacred. You see, this table here behind me is not all about you. It's not all about us. It's all about Jesus. It says in remembrance of me. The world says, I am not good enough. I am not worthy enough. The world says I'm nobody special, and I know, I already know, I don't need the world to tell me that I'm a miserable sinner. 
But if Jesus did all these things you talked about for me, then he must really, really love me. Thank you, Jesus. He died for me. He must really love you. Today, I encourage you to focus on his grace, his mercy, and his love, and that's how the two come together. When we are so reverent that we take a moment and ponder how great the Lord's body is for what he has done for us, that he can make us, in fact, holy. We at Kingsway hope you enjoyed this message from Pastor Sean. It was not by chance you listened to it. God is speaking to you. Visit kingswaycc.org to find the podcast from Pastor Sean. We pray today that this somehow inspired you to draw closer to God and to connect with His people, His purpose, and His power. God bless you.